So I have a simple question. This is a participation exercise. How many of you have named your kid Judas? <laughs> How about your dog? Your pet rat? That's really telling, isn't it? It's telling in part because the name Judas is actually a pretty cool name. It, it comes from the Hebrew Judah, which means God be praised. Praise God. It's a, a wonderful, affirmative kind of name. But you never hear anybody using it anymore. Why is that? You know the answer. It's because somebody ruined it. Somebody made that name synonymous with betrayer. We read in the Gospel according to Matthew the background to that reality in these words. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? And so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Sometime later, Jesus is in an upper room. He is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And the text says, while they were eating, Jesus said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And you could imagine him looking around the room. I don't think he fixed his eyes just on one person. I think he scanned the room. And they were very sad, the scriptures say, and they began to say to him one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. I could never betray you. And then in a few hours' time after that, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is talking with his disciples. And the text says, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, we'll come back to why this keeps coming up, one of the twelve arrived, and with him was a large crowd. Now, we're used to seeing large crowds thronging around Jesus, but this one, we're told, is different. These ones are armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, the text adds, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Within hours from this moment, of course, Jesus would be tortured within an inch of his life. He'd be tried. He'd be found wanting. He'd be found a blasphemous, heretic, an insurrectionist, dangerous to Rome. They would destroy his body. They would pin him to a cross. He would suffer and he would die and be buried. Joe Saxton is a young female African-American pastor in Minneapolis who has thought greatly and deeply about these matters. 
And in a blog post, she writes this, you only need to look at popular culture to know all about betrayal. Whether it's Shakespeare writing a two Brutus in Julius Caesar or Taylor Swift singing Bad Blood in one of her most popular songs. Betrayal, writes Saxton, is a powerful ingredient in the stories that we watch and the songs that we sing. It's a powerful ingredient in our own stories too, she adds. Think of the parent who walked out on your family, perhaps, and didn't even once look back. Think of the mentor who exploited your time and your energy and talent for their own agenda. Think of the colleague who, who stole your ideas and used them for their own professional advancement. Think of the love of your life who walked away with your closest friend, destroying your happily ever after. Yes, we know how betrayal feels, if not in these stories, in some other story of our lives. And perhaps that's why, says Sexton, Judas emerges as one of the most intriguing figures in the story of Jesus' passion because we know what he did, leading the authorities to Jesus' secret hangout so they could arrest him without a crowd of fans in the way. But why? Why did he do it? Well, I guess I would respond to that question that I think the conventional answer to that question is sort of a no-brainer. I mean, Judas was greedy. He wanted the 30 pieces of silver. He got paid for selling Jesus out. He thought that was a greater reward than following Jesus further. Judas was also angry. He was ticked off that Jesus had not turned out to be the kind of political military messiah that Judas wanted him to be. And so he cashed out, partly in rage, at the, at the bait and switch thing that Jesus had done to him. Judas was also afraid. He was fearful that if he kept his wagon hitched to this so-called superstar, when that wagon went uh, over the cliff, and down into the precipice, he would lose his life, just like he was pretty sure Jesus was going to lose his. Why does anybody betray anybody else? You know the answer to this. It always boils down to simple human passions like greed and anger and fear and lust and envy and ambition and hatred. As Joe Saxon suggests, these sins... These particular deadly sins are behind every plot line in human life. From Game of Thrones, it's coming back, by the way, Sunday, to Empire, to Billions, to you name your own song, your own story, your own life. This is why people betray. But that is not really what I'm interested in, personally. I don't know about you, but as I think about this story, it's not the why of the Judas thing that, that gets me interested. It's the, it's the what got him there. It, it, it's the how of, of Judas's journey that I think has got relevance for me and maybe even for you 
And so I want to think together about this and what lessons we might draw from Judas's story. And the first one is this. It seems to me as we look at the facts here, we realize that Judas shows us that you can begin brilliantly with Jesus and end badly. You can start out very well and finish very poorly. And what makes this story, I think, the story of this man's life so particularly remarkable is how brilliantly Judas began with Jesus. Now, I don't know think that is commonly thought of. We think only about the end of the story. But think with me about the start of this guy's journey with Jesus. I mean, Judas didn't just show up at church one weekend. I mean, Judas was all in when it came to following Jesus. Now, you may say to me, well, so were all the other disciples. What makes this guy particularly exceptional? Well, here's what makes him exceptional. Um, All of the other disciples uh, essentially met Jesus in their backyard. Uh, Jesus was from their neighborhood. And following Jesus, while it, it took a certain leap of faith for sure, they had to set aside their nets and go follow after him, was not that huge a risk on one level because they were still in the same neighborhood where they'd grown up. They were still not so far from their uh, original jobs. And if this thing didn't work out, they had peeps they could go back to. They had roles they could go right back to. And it wouldn't be that hard to do so. Not so with Judas. The scripture calls him Judas Iscariot. And the name Iscariot literally means a man of Kerioth. Judas was from the town of Kerioth. Kerioth is 110 miles south of Galilee, where Jesus and his other disciples uh, grew up and spent their time. 110 miles is a long way before Metra, right? It is, it is a serious long distance when you have to walk that kind of distance. Judas had left his home, his family, his job, his everything behind and traveled a vast distance in a sense in the ancient times in order to be in the company of Jesus. And I think that may be why John chapter 12 and verse 6 says that Jesus and the other disciples saw Judas as so dedicated, this is the implication anyway at the beginning, so dedicated, so virtuous, that when it came to deciding who would carry the the common purse, the treasury everybody was using, they just said, oh, let let Judas do it. This guy is committed. This guy is all in. And then Jesus gave Judas even more responsibility than that. Luke's gospel tells us that when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. In other words, Judas didn't just sit around watching Jesus. Judas did the work of Jesus. Judas stepped out into the the milieu of life, into the messiness of life, and got involved with sick people and evil-possessed people, and worked wonders in the midst of those kinds of circumstances. He had a vital personal role in the life-changing ministry of Jesus Christ. He was not just any disciple. There were hundreds of disciples. Judas was one of the 12. 
He was on the board of directors of the Jesus movement. That was Judas. And he wasn't just any director. He was chosen as the treasurer of that board. Judas began brilliantly. I didn't begin this brilliantly in my journey with Jesus. We've got lots of examples, I think, in our time of people who started out really well and who ended up pretty badly. They went to Sunday school as kids, perhaps. They were big into the church youth group someplace. They went off on some mission trip, maybe. They got all excited about their faith. They went off to college. The siren voices of other things began to call. And it sort of went away. And they went away. And we keep praying and some will come home again, find their way back to that first love. There are all kinds of people that stood up at the front of some church someplace or some other location. They were at an altar. They pledged till death do us part. And they meant it. And they worked really hard at the beginning and maybe a long way in. And then they found one day they just couldn't. They couldn't anymore. There are people that began in businesses that, uh, that thrived and, and grew. And then it just crashed. They made bad decisions. They had difficulties. Um, circumstances around them were too much for them. I, I think of pastors I know who started brilliantly, who built up incredible ministries. Some of them known the world over. But, but then it, it went badly. Somehow, and maybe little by little, degree by degree, the pot of temptation heated up for them, or their moral compass got off center, or they had too many yes people around them. Maybe those old deadly sins of greed, or anger, or fear, or lust, or pride, or envy, you know, go on down the list. Maybe one of those, or more than one of those, began to occupy the place inside of them, in their heart, where Jesus once was, where Jesus was once on the throne. Which is why the scriptures say, guard your heart, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. And so these wonderful people, these marvelous leaders, we've seen some even in our own newspapers in time, they begin to make choices, they begin to handle resources, they begin to deal with relationships in a not so helpful way, eventually even in a very destructive kind of way. Like Judas, they began brilliantly. And they ended badly. I wonder how Judas kept his slippage secret. You know, I, I wonder how he covered it. You know, I think back to when I was a secret smoker uh, and how much energy and time I put into trying to cover that up. Um, maybe you've got a vice in your life right now. You are covering it up. You, you know the labor it takes to try and and, and keep the mask going, the, the explanations going. I, I wonder how Judas, when he was stealing from the common purse, or when he was um, beginning to really doubt, seriously doubt the methodology of Jesus, or, or starting to think about leaving the company of Christ forever, I wonder how he covered this up. I wonder if he denied it to himself, actually. He, I wonder if he compartmentalized, you know, in the way we do sometimes. Um, 
I wonder if he said, this is just a momentary aberration. I'll probably swing back. I wonder how he sort of dealt with the duplicity in his own life. Although I don't really wonder, you know, because I've been there. And maybe you've been there. But what I do know about Judas is that, that there were things that probably stopped happening. Uh, maybe he stopped um, engaging with Jesus at the level he had at the start. I think there's this tendency that we think that it was okay for us to have been close to Jesus at one point in our life and that we can now pretty much coast from there. We can rely on our past record in a sense. We can rest on what we learned about God years ago or how close we were to Jesus back then. Uh, we, we can even do this, in, again, in our other relationships. We had a great friendship once. We had a great marriage once. We can sort of coast now on the strength of what that thing was, and yet we stop making the investments that we need to make to keep the relationship real. We can say to ourselves, I must be okay. Um, they, they, other people recognize me. Uh, they made me the supervisor. They made me the pastor. They made me the treasurer. Uh, they talk when they see me and, and my spouse about uh, how great we look together. We can say those things to ourselves. Um, we need to keep investing in this connection with God and with the important people in our lives. Watching the fall of so many other Christian leaders in recent days, I want to tell you something. I have just had to really look hard at myself. I've, I've had to really remember the importance for me personally of making sure I'm connected to the source and that I've got around me a circle of accountability, people that know me, people that have the courage to say, Dan, I'm worried about this thing I'm seeing going on, this drift I'm watching. If I don't have this kind of circle around me, I'm, I could so easily finish poorly too. You could so easily finish poorly without help like this. So if we don't want to finish badly, in spite of how wonderfully we began, these kinds of, of commitments to accountability and to building intimacy with God and others is so important. There, I think there's a second lesson from the life of Judas that is also sobering and, and may explain, in part, why his story ended badly. Um, the scary truth is that you can hear the word of God repeatedly and never really take it in or maybe stop taking it in. Um, have you ever thought to yourself, you know, if I lived during the time of Jesus, I think I'd be a more committed disciple. I think that if I was really there, and uh, I could sit there with Jesus in the flesh, I could hear him telling those parables and watching the expression on his face, I think... I would be all in at a deeper kind of level. Have you ever, th ever thought that? I have. I've thought that. But Judas was there. He was there as far as we know just about every single time that Jesus opened his mouth. I mean, he was there to ask Jesus all kinds of follow-up questions when he was unclear on the concepts. Judas, for example, heard Jesus teach repeatedly about the spiritual power of money about how, how difficult it is to not be taken in by the power of, of things, by the kingdom of thingdom. Uh, and, and, and Judas 
would have listened to Jesus talk about the necessity of, of really working hard to prioritize God and to use things for God's purposes. But it didn't change him, as far as we can tell. He still stole from the common purse. Uh, he still prioritized material concerns over spiritual devotion. There's a story in one of the Gospels in which Jesus and the disciples are there together and a woman comes in and she's so devoted to Jesus. She loves him. She, he has extended grace to her and she, she takes this really expensive jar of perfume and she breaks it and she, and she uh, anoints Jesus with this jar of perfume as an act of devotion and love for him. And Judas is ticked. He is really angry. We could have sold that, that jar of perfume, says Judas, as if the proceeds, which would of course go in, into what? The common purse from which he could take more, as if that was his number one concern. And in the end, Judas trades the treasures of heaven for just 30 pieces of silver in the end. So Judas also heard Jesus teach all kinds of things about the kingdom of God. How this kingdom was not of this world, how it was not a military or a political kind of kingdom. But, but Judas had entered into this whole following Jesus thing with a particular lens on. Uh, Judas was very politically active. He was a member of the Zealot Party. The Zealots were committed to the overthrow of Rome. They were um, highly uh, willing to even engage in violent tactics, if necessary, to, to do that. And though Judas momentarily laid down this whole zealot uh, campaign platform to follow after Jesus, it never made a dent in his life, really, this notion that Jesus had of a kingdom that begins in the heart and that spreads out from there. And that involves actually loving and doing good for one's enemies. How many people today name themselves Christians, but actually are primarily Democrats or Republicans when you really talk to them? That their political orientation trumps their piety. No, no pun intended, that was not a political statement. <laughs> but it, it absolutely overrules it. How, how many of us are like this? Um, because I think that if you really study the scriptures closely, what you discover, of course, is that, is that no political party out there has got the corner on God's truth, has got all of the, the range and the depth and the beauty of what God has in mind for humanity in their particular platform. And that, and that to be a follower of Jesus is actually to be about a kingdom and a way forward in the social and political sphere that's so much greater and more powerful than, than we settle for in these sectarian and partisan uh, places. Uh, Judas also heard Jesus preach a ton about how narrow the gate was that leads to life and how wide the road that leads to destruction, how many people follow it. It did not stop Judas from walking the wide road in the end. And as you know, it led to his destruction. Judas heard all of Jesus' parables about forgiveness, about the father whose son basically said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what's coming to me. I want it now. And goes off and then wastes it all. 
and then comes back and how the father is waiting at the gate with his arms wide open, ready to have him home. He hears about the, the shepherd who when one lost sheep is gone out there in the storm, doesn't say, ah, forget that stupid sheep. I've got 99, but goes out after that one lost sheep because he loves individuals. Judas heard all of this and more. He saw Jesus forgiving and caring for people, but in the end, it didn't sink in. It didn't go in. He took his own life not believing forgiveness was possible for him. So, what can we learn from this? What does this have to, to do with you and me? Here, here's my simple take on it. Sitting in church isn't enough. Going to Bible studies isn't enough. Some of the meanest people I've ever met go to Bible studies. <laughs> and you're laughing as you know you've met those people. Um, you know, even being a self-avowed Christian is not enough. If you can't point to specific places in your life where knowing Jesus and hearing his teaching has so seeped in that it has turned you, that's what repentance is. It's turning you in fresh directions, going a new direction. If you can't point to a bunch of places where there's been a delta, it's questionable whether you've heard Jesus. Um, whether his teaching has really sunk in. Um, and as I said last week, you know, being willing to let go of our false self and our false securities and our false sources of significance is critical in the journey of real discipleship. Uh, and that's especially important, I think, because of another lesson we learned from the life of G Judas, and that is the more potential you have for God's kingdom, the more you're going to be targeted by the enemy. You know the name Satan? You've, have you heard of Satan? You've heard that name before? Yeah. Gets joked about a lot today. It's a Hebrew word, um, Satan. It literally means the adversary. It means the one who is opposed to the way of God and opposed to the way of God in you. And and if you are somebody filled with potential, particularly somebody who's begun well, you will be targeted by the enemy. The enemy doesn't need to spend a lot of time targeting people that are never going to make a dent for the kingdom. He has to go after the ones that are dangerous to the cause of, of, of evil. And so it's not a, a coincidence, I think, that, that there, it's these prodigious pastors and these these uh, luminous celebrities and these great business leaders who have, have fallen and stumbled in recent years. The adversary wants them. Uh, he knows that if he can wreck people's confidence in them, he can wreck other people's sense of hope or even commitment to pursuing a journey of growth and of influence. And it's not a coincidence, I think, that we're told multiple times in the scriptures themselves that Judas had been targeted by evil. Luke 23 and 3 reads, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. I got to the inner circle. Satan rejoices. John 13 and 27 says that the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Judas didn't just stumble by himself, is what I'm telling you. He was tripped. He was tripped by an intelligence that wants to see the most potential laden of God's servants fall. One of the most important prayers, I think, that you and I can offer each and every day in light of this reality is this one. My Father in heaven, deliver me from evil. It's worth praying that before you get out of bed in the morning. Lord, I'm going to confront all kinds of temptations and circumstances. Deliver me from the evil that would try and trip me up. Uh, Give me eyes, God, to see where I'm starting to stray in the wrong direction. Give me the capacity to see where I've wandered away from your way for my life. And give me the courage to get back on the good road, the narrow way. Uh, Please help me with this, Lord. The psalmist, I love the way the psalmist puts it this way. Search me, God. You know, check me out. I mean, look carefully, please. Don't let me hide from you. Don't let me conceal anything from you. Search me and test me and know my anxious thoughts. And by the way, anxious thoughts are are the handy little indicator, the amber light on the dashboard of our character that says to us, "Mm, maybe I'm doing something that's not helpful or healthy or, or in line with God's purposes. So test my anxious thoughts, know my thoughts, he says, and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Which brings me to the last principle from the life of Judas I want to touch on and then let you go. And this one's really important, and I hope will be an encouragement to you. You can do your very best to sow the seed of faith in others, and it may not take. Just soak that up for a minute. You can do your very best and, and to sow and to plant seed of faith in people, and it, it may not take. Uh, My friend Colin Smith, a pastor in the area, says Judas' story contains an important lesson for parents, leaders, and friends who grieve over someone they love who has abandoned the faith or maybe never even started up seriously in the faith. They worry, what more could we have done? Did we fail in our teaching? Did we fail in our example? I run into people all the time who who were feeling guilt-ridden over this reality. Did we somehow uh, miss it when it comes to immersing our son or daughter or or our friend in a different kind of environment? But Judas's story teaches us that even the very best example, even the most compelling evidence, even the finest teaching, the ultimate environment for incubating faith, could there be a better environment for incubating faith than the circle of the twelve? With Jesus sitting with you at every meal, could there be? No. Even that kind of environment, says Smith, cannot in and of itself change the human heart. People have to make choices. Our job, I think, is to faithfully continue to sow good seed in whatever ways and wherever we possibly can. We must never give up. Uh, even with those loved ones who have just seemed to have checked out forever. We must never give up trying to sow the seed, to share what it is about our walk with Jesus that's helped us in our life, to, to invite them to come into the circle in some way. We must never give up praying for them and encouraging them in their own walk in life. The Bible says that Jesus knew what was in the heart of Judas, but he did not give up. 
Think about this. He knew this was the very guy that was going to tip it over and send him to the cross. And yet Jesus continued to travel in his company. Continued to share life with Judas, to teach Judas. He washed Judas's feet on the night in which he was betrayed by Judas. Jesus did that. He still broke bread. He still passed it to Judas. He still welcomed his presence. When Judas approached him in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what he would do, Jesus still welcomed Judas's company. And I believe, just my theory here, that the resurrected Jesus, had Judas not taken his life, might well have welcomed him then and restored him into the company of disciples. So here's what I do know, and I'll finish with this. No matter how brilliantly you began, no matter how badly you've begun, or badly it might be going right now, you can finish strong. You can. And this is a community of faith of people who will help each other to seek to finish strong. Your life can be about church activities, but I hope you will commit yourself, as I will too, to listening, truly hearing even more deeply than we ever have before what God says to us in his word and letting it change us. You can be strengthened by God's Holy Spirit to overcome the schemes of the enemy. The promise of scripture is that greater is he, meaning God, who is in you than he who is in this world, meaning the adversary. And Christ can use you and use you even more than he's using you right now to sow more seeds of his eternal kingdom out into this world that so needs the flourishing that only Christ is going to be able to bring to us. And this, friends, isn't just my opinion. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? Lord, none of us, not a single one of us, wants to remain on the blacklist. Not one of us ever wants to be owned by the darkness overcome by the darkness. We want to be servants of the light. So Lord, please call us to yourself afresh. Give us ears to hear you and hearts to follow you for life. In your powerful name we pray. And all God's servants said,